welcome to the IBCD Care and Discipleship Podcast. I'm excited to have our Executive Director, Jim Neuheiser, with us. And we thought that today we would take some questions that have been coming in on our website and through various events and just kind of do a Q&A time together. So, Jim, the first question that we have is about admonishment. It says, while admonishment is crucial to biblical counseling, as is being directive, when does rebuke and being directive become either counterproductive or untimely? So what are your thoughts as you hear that question? I think it depends on how you define many of those terms. The Bible says in one of the key verses in the biblical counseling movement, that you're competent to counsel or admonish one another concerning you. I'm convinced you're full of goodness, full of knowledge, able to admonish one another. And so there's an appropriate time to exhort someone, to correct someone. Uh, Proverbs talk about how the wounds of a friend are faithful and that it's a wise man who receives correction. It's a fool who rejects correction. Proverbs chapter 9, verse 8. Galatians chapter 6, verse 1 and 2, though, say how if we're going to restore someone, it should be gently. I think sometimes people get the idea, especially in biblical counseling, that you're correcting people by shouting at them, by harshly correcting and admonishing them. Any and all correction should be gentle and loving for the purpose of helping to fix this person's problem to point them more to Christ. Sometimes people bring correction with an attitude of anger, venting their own rage rather than coming alongside to help. Another aspect would be Romans 12 says we're to weep with those who weep as well as rejoice with those who rejoice. And there's an appropriateness. Proverbs talks about this as well, like apples of gold and settings of silver is a word aptly spoken, and you don't want to sing songs to a sad heart. And I think if someone's heartbroken and they've just lost a loved one, to rebuke them for their lack of trust in God that their loved one's in heaven or something is totally out of place. So situationally, there can be a time where it's time to listen, to care, to understand, to express compassion. So it's more situational, what is this the right time for that? Do you have all the information to be able to give this admonishment? Do you have a relationship with this person such that they know you care about them and they're ready to listen? So admonishing, correcting is a biblical concept, but it has to be done in light of the context of what the Bible says about these things. One of your roles is being an ACBC fellow. And so in doing that, you listen to and read reports, but, but I know you listen to the audio of a lot of counselors. Do you find that some people tend towards one or the other? Like some people you're saying, whoa, you might need to admonish less and others, you might need to bring the truth more. How's that's that a, work That's out? a great observation that there are some people who don't gather enough data and they get a little bit of information and they feel like they have to go straight into admonishing from the scriptures and my view would be they don't know enough yet. The one who speaks before he listens, it's a folly to him in Proverbs 18. Also, we just have a bent, like you said. Some will listen for a long time, and they're very sympathetic. And you're listening, thinking, get to the point. Uh, this person needs to be exhorted before they get out of the room. 
I think it, that's a benefit actually being supervised is the person who's supervising you might be able to help you see what your natural inclinations or bents are so that you can be aware that I'm a person who needs to get to the point more quickly or I'm a person who needs to listen more and make sure I've made a connection with this person before I rush into correction. Yeah. And so being supervised is a way to figure that out. How else do you think, you know, so the person listening, how can they find out which way they might gravitate towards too quickly? I think if you're married, your spouse would love to answer that question (laughs) or asking other people close to you, especially if you're in a position where you're trying to counsel each other, disciple other people. I think it's a great question for you to ask is that the Bible says I'm supposed to be gentle. The Bible says it's an appropriate thing to come alongside and bring correction. Do you believe that when I've corrected you, I've done it appropriately? Or how could I do better? Then you would show yourself as at least as an individual who's willing to receive admonition and you need to be prepared for whatever you get. Another question related to that is just what guidelines do you have in place of knowing when you definitely need to bring correction? Because it sounds like you're very much weighing through the idea we need to be gentle. We need to make sure we've heard a lot of things. And so you're kind of holding back on that until there's adequate demand to need to do it. How do we think through that as counselors? And what you're asking is a question of wisdom where you could have very godly counselors who would approach a given situation differently and you couldn't say one was right or one was wrong. Sometimes you have a counselor who's very reluctant to be there or they may be very fearful that you're going to blast them. And so I'm inclined to try to win this person to show them that I care about them, that I understand some of their problems, that I even understand they're not the only sinner in the room and maybe the person they're having trouble with also has their own sin. So I'm, I'm trying to build passport. I'm trying to build relationship. But I know I need to get there. Sometimes, you know, like Thessalonians, Paul says it to Thessalonians, admonish the unruly, encourage the faint heart, help the weak. Sometimes someone is unruly and you go straight to jail, do not pass, go, do not collect $200 that uh, this person, I had a man who is boasting about his sexual immorality in front of his wife. I didn't feel like I needed to build a relationship with this man. I believed that I needed to firmly admonish him, especially as a professing Christian, uh, for his need to repent. When you're counseling, your mind is constantly going on many different levels. One is, what what is the sin? What are the verses that apply? You know, if there are two people, who do I speak to first? Who do I admonish? Sometimes... You've got an unruly person with a weak person. Uh, And so you're not going to do it perfectly, but you're trying to take these things into consideration. And the Bible does speak to these situations, like in 1 Thessalonians, like in Proverbs. So you're, you're working it through and you're praying that God will help you to be kind and gracious and yet firm. And often at the end of the session, I'll ask the counselees, is there anything I said or in a way I acted where you believe that I was sinfully judgmental or unkind or misunderstood you. And I'll also say, and it may be that you don't realize that now and two days from now you think about it and it starts bothering you. So come back to me because I know I don't do this perfectly. And I was just talking to someone I was supervising last night and they described a situation where they he had admonished his counselee and it seemed like she was in tears of repentance and she was thankful and then two days later, she's so angry with him, she didn't want to talk to him anymore. And these things will happen. I think it can be wise 
to check up with the person to be sensitive in terms of how they're handling that? So two big principles are one, understand yourself and your own proclivity to either rush in too soon or to tiptoe around it for too long. And then also really seek the Lord's help and reading the other person and what they need in that moment. Sounds like a lot excellent of summary. Another question that came in uh, from one of our marriage events was, um, it sounds like a man's working with a younger husband. And his question is, how can I help a young husband man up and assume the position of godly head of the household to lead his wife into a God ordained structure of the family? So that's the question. And uh, where do you go with that? I would need a lot more data to know where I would go with a particular situation because I've run into couples with different scenarios. There's some wives who have these expectations of the perfect husband who is just, you know, up at five in the morning praying on his knees and then brings her breakfast in bed and then reads the scriptures with her for half an hour and has a prepared sermon for the evening devotions and just this and and so he's never met her expectations and he's implicitly hearing from her man up and there's a lack of grace and she has these extra biblical expectations and these ungracious expectations and she's making him sound like he's a failure when it may be as we're all imperfect husbands it may be that fundamentally he loves his wife he's fulfilling his responsibilities as we all do so imperfectly. On the other hand, now that I'm getting older, I do see in a new generation a real problem of men who get married who are still in very many ways boys. And there, there's a real problem where you have a guy and he's got a wife and he's not working and she's out earning the money and he's sitting home playing video games or they have a kid and he gets home from work and just goes and watches sports and isn't engaged and she goes to church and he doesn't go to church. And there there are a lot of married boys who haven't learned to sacrificially love their wives and they want the privileges of marriage and they don't want to man up and take on the responsibilities. And uh, so that's another scenario that is a real problem and a growing problem. And that is a place where admonishment is appropriate. But then I would want to look, let's say we're dealing primarily with that guy, is what is the heart issue here? Well, you can deal with the behavior and tell him to, you know, work harder, cut off his video games or limit himself to 20 minutes a day. And you give you him, but it's out of the heart that these behaviors are coming. And so what is wrong in his heart that is leading to him being a self-centered, unloving husband who is irresponsible. And, you know, we, we know well Ephesians 5.25, you're to love your wife as Christ loves the church. But earlier in the chapter, you have Ephesians 5.1, where we're told, imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love just as Christ loved you and gave himself up for us and offering in a sacrifice to God as a fragrant aroma. And as I think of those verses together, this man's problem isn't just that he's a slackard. His problem is that he is not loving his wife in a Christ-like way because he himself is not walking in the love of Christ. 
which brings me back to the end of Ephesians 3, when Paul is praying for the Ephesians, they would grasp the height, the length, the breadth, the depth of the love of Christ, that this man has made a disconnect between what, I assume he's a believer, he, he intellectually acknowledges that Christ loves him, but if, if he were living in that love and rejoicing in that love, meditating upon that love, if he's walking with Jesus, sitting at Jesus' feet and being blessed by the Word and the means of grace in the church, that should be flowing forth in him actively caring for his wife and being a man, a husband to his wife as Christ is to the church. And so my approach for the guy that needs to man up, rather than shouting at him and tell him to stop playing video games and stop looking at porn and all those, you know, those are valid commands. But what is in his heart going on right now? And it's really seeking satisfaction outside of Christ, not knowing the love of Christ that then is affecting how he treats his wife or how he neglects his responsibility. So there needs to be a gospel-focused motivation that will transform him inwardly. And then he's still going to need some help putting it into practice. Yeah, and so we want to really make sure that there's this this gospel sense of how he's loved in Christ, and then that that is his responsibility to seek to show that love to his wife. How does that intersect then with with leading your wife? I I know a lot of husbands really run into this in terms of um, wives may have different expectations, as you're saying, and so you're seeking to to love your wife. But how do you help someone grow in leading their wife? Would you say? I would begin by saying he needs to study how Christ has loved him and leads him and how Christ has washed his feet, John 13. And the more he gets that, the more he's going to have a heart to care for his wife rather than it just being a matter of techniques. Uh, There are practical considerations. One thing I would say is any man who's making an effort there is probably way above, way ahead of the pack. So many wives would just be thrilled if their husband would say, can we pray together for a couple minutes before we go to bed at night? Could I read a verse before we have a meal? Uh, taking some initiative to say, look, we need to sit down and talk about these issues. And I really want to know what you think as we're discussing how we're going to educate the kids or whether we're going to take this job or how we're going to manage our finances and simple things of effort. I think some men are intimidated from doing that. And I've thought a lot about this because there's so many men who just, it like, it scares them to think about trying to do some of those little things. I think part of it is, is if you've been married for 10 years and you've never prayed with your wife, the first time you do is an admission that you've been doing the wrong thing for 10 years. Or if you've been running the finances kind of unilaterally and you haven't really been listening to your wife, like Proverbs 31 talks about the teaching of wisdom is on her lips and the heart of her husband trusts in her. And, and to do things in a new way, which is a more Christ-like way, is an implicit admission you've failed. And so it, maybe he needs to begin in his own heart to confess to God, to confess to his wife, I haven't led you as I should. And then he's not going to start off sprinting in leading his wife. He's probably going to be like a toddler stumbling around. He needs his wife to be merciful and gracious to him as he tries, but to try to start taking some of those baby steps and ask her questions. Uh, Lou Priola's book, The Complete Husband, has a great uh, list of questions at the end of the first few chapters, just to ask your wife things like, how could I better lead you? What would be the two or three most important things I could work on that would improve our marriage and make you feel better cared for? And many men, because of pride or fear, 
wouldn't be willing to ask those questions. And I think most of us are married to women who would be thrilled to be asked those questions and would probably be pretty happy if we even made a little bit of effort in that direction. So it is interesting just to kind of summarize some of that one. When, when I ask you about leadership, the words that you're going to are serve and love and ask. And I think for some men, those aren't the first words that come into their mind when they think of what it means to lead. But that's the biblical definition there. So, Which got back to where we began. Study how Christ leads you and how Christ loves you. And the visual picture of Jesus washing the disciples' feet is very important. And many men have a horrible misconception of what it is to lead, as if lead means I can be selfish and she can't do anything about it. That is anti-Christ-like. It's a disgrace that men think that's what Christian leadership is, and it gives those of us who believe in a you know male headship and the wives submit, it gives us all a bad name that there are men out there who think leadership means I'm the boss and everybody else has to do what I want. Leadership is making sacrifices, and leadership is choosing what is best to the glory of God for the good of your family, not I get what I want, which again, that's why he needs to go spiritually, that he has a passion for the glory of God. And sometimes leadership will be leading your family in a direction your wife may not take as her first choice, but you're not doing it because that's what you want. You're, you're doing it because that's how you believe you can best serve God and serve your family. To make that concrete, uh, maybe your wife would really love to have a new car of a certain kind, but you believe based on biblical principle, it would be financially irresponsible to do so. Uh, you may have to deny her that, or it may be that the, the church you think the family should be going to isn't the one she does, but you have reasons why doctrinally or practically you think this is the better option. What would be ungodly would be to say, I'm going to buy myself the fancy new sports car and you're going to drive around on the piece of junk. That's what many men treat as leadership. But, but sometimes leadership is, as best I can tell, I need to do this. But again, the motivation is for the glory of God to follow the scriptures, not an act of selfishness, which is an unchristlike act. A follow-up. Uh, related to this is how can this husband help his wife understand that it's not okay to belittle him in front of the children? Uh, so it sounds like there's some criticism that's coming out in front of the children, maybe in front of others. How do you deal with that lovingly as a husband? Well, the passages that come to mind are in Matthew 7, where Jesus says, you need to get the log out of your own eye before you take the splinter out of your brother or your sister's eye. And so I would if I were talking to that man, I would ask him, what are the logs that you need to get out? Jesus says, when you've got the logs out, go get her splinter out as best you can. But what is she saying, even in her criticisms, even if she's doing it in an, in an ungodly way in front of the kids or in a sarcastic or unkind way, if there is truth, it's between you and God and it's sin and you need to deal with her. Maybe there are other issues that she's not bringing up in front of the kids. So first, Repent before God, then confess that to your wife and actually make a commitment as God helps you to change. And then you can go to her. Now, Matthew 18 also gives an example of your sister, your brother sinned against you, you first go to them. Galatians 6 says you go gently for the purpose of restoring them. So it's not like I've had it with you criticizing me in front of the kids and you criticize her back in front of the kids, or you vent your anger to her privately so the kids hear you yelling to the door, it's a matter of 
she has fallen into sin by doing this. Probably she knows she's sinning. But if you come alongside and say, I know I've sinned against you in these ways. I know that's been very hard for you, and I need your forgiveness. I think you probably know you shouldn't have done that in front of the kids. And so uh, I would like to ask you to forgive me for mine, but also uh, would you please, in the future, if you have a problem, let's talk privately. And I I admit that, I don't know the details, but a lot of the situations the wife's answer would be, I've been trying to tell him privately, and I got so upset I couldn't control myself. Well, fruit of the Spirit, self-control, that's not an excuse, but that is the way she lived it. And uh, have you been listening? Have you tempted her to this? But then coming aside, I, I love you. I want our relationship to be better. I realize I've contributed to this, and I want to forgive you to to restore the relationship and not just to I mean, one thing about the question is there's not really anything in the question that says this person sees their sin as being an important part of the problem. Equation, yeah. What happens if if he really does start to see that as a problem and he's really going to her about it and seeking to love her well, but she just isn't responding? Like she continues to bring this up. And, and one of the things later on in this is it mentions how do you undo years of this happening? Um so what's a husband to do if he is r- really seeking his part and she continues to do it? How does that work? Well, I think that's where it's so wonderful if you're in a strong church and applying the principles in Matthew 18, if your wife is continually condemning you in front of the children and venting her anger. And I mean, you see these as sin issues in her life and you've tried to help and to restore her and she will not listen to you, you have the right to get help, just as she has the right to get help if you're the one doing that. And to go to, I would recommend a pastor and his wife, an elder and his wife, and not just to frame it as my wife is this horrible wife who nags me or criticizes me all the time or has this anger problem, but just say, we need help with our marriage. Uh, Talk about where you see your sins are and how you've tried to work on those and let her talk about hers and see if these people could. I mean, that's what the Bible says to do is to get help. And maybe the Lord would work through this other couple in a way that he hadn't worked through you individually. That's why we follow what the Bible says in Matthew 18. Yeah. So there, there is a way forward. Uh, first, by loving her, getting the log out of your own eye, and then also um, appealing to others for help. The other thing is, up until now, we've been dealing with this as a behavior on her part. Gets back to what is going on in her heart. If you're trying to address her, it's not just stop nagging me or stop criticizing me. But what is it, like James 4, what's the source of quarrels and conflicts among you? You want something, you don't get it, so you kill. So is it possible as you're trying to help her to really understand not just the behavior you hate, but what's the struggle of her own heart where she's failing? And is it possible for you as a spiritual leader to help her address those struggles, doing so in a sympathetic way, uh, not just to put a cork in her mouth so she doesn't yell at you, but actually to address the heart which is falling into sin and then finally it comes out of the mouth? Do you have any ideas why a wife, like what would be going on in a wife's heart that would make her want to put her husband down in front of her kids, especially if he is seeking to care for her. I mean, I understand <laughs> if he's being a jerk, but right. what kind of things could be in her heart that that he may be 
he may find out. I have to admit that the second part of the question was hard for me because it's really rare yeah. for a husband <laughs> who is humble, gently seeking to correct his wife, admitting his own faults, to have a wife who keeps doing that. I, I really... It's hard for you to imagine. I can think of one in 30 years that I kind of would say this guy seemed to be doing a pretty good job and the wife was just mean. Mm -hmm. Yes, there are people who are fleshly in the matter of Romans 12, 18, as far as it's possible with you to be at peace with all men. And so you could have a wife that no matter what you do, Mm -hmm. she is an angry, bitter, nagging person. Maybe she's an unbeliever. Maybe as a believer, she's just caught up so much in the flesh and she's embittered. So there could be heart issues in her life where she will not listen. Just like, why would a man commit adultery? Why would a man go into all kinds of things? They're all, sin is self-destructive. It's it's believing the lie. It's living the lie. So yes, I, this can happen. Why? Because this person has been caught by the deceitfulness of sin, as Hebrews 3 warns us sin can do for professing Christians. Just like we all have areas of sin we haven't gotten totally under control that could become life dominating apart from the grace of God. Well, thanks for your attention to these questions. We love hearing from our listeners and the various things that uh, you're struggling with as you seek to care for others. So keep sending those to us. You can always submit those ibcd.org slash podcast. We have a form you can fill out there, send them in, and we hope to address those in future episodes as well. So Jim, thanks for your time. And we look forward to being with you all again soon. 